Blog Talk Radio. Canes fans, you have been here several times before. Your football program hit rock bottom again on Saturday night on national TV against FSU is without question in the early stages of what absolutely is a bigger rebuild than anybody wanted to acknowledge was necessary. Now, all we have is the truth. There's no argument that things have gotten worse for the Miami Hurricanes this year than anybody imagined. But adversity can also bring out the worst in many people. And that is why when things go bad, they can snowball like they have this season with the blowout loss to Florida State, the inability of the offense to score, the defense's inability to stop a basic counter run play that FSU ran an astonishing 32 times. 32 times in 64 plays. Hopefully, this is the worst that the Canes Nation will have to endure, let's just say, ever again. And tonight on Canes Sport Live, it's going to be about therapy and mental conditioning, about yanking the Canes fan away from the ledge and hopefully seeing a little bit of daylight down the road. We're going to discuss what has transpired and more and where Mario Cristobal goes from here. Can the Canes salvage a bowl bid out of this season by winning two of their last three games? That's going to be the focus tonight as we begin this new edition of Kane Sport Live. Hello again, everybody. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com. We welcome you once again to your show, Kane Sport Live. It's your show, and it's going to be driven by your participation. The call-in number is 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. We have more than 100 open phone lines, plenty of room for everybody to listen and get in on the action. If you want to come on the show, you call the number 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad to enter the queue. We will bring you on the show in the order that you land in the queue. We ask the subscribers at canesport.com for topics and questions that they would like to hear discussed on tonight's show, and we will get to them during the course of the evening. All right, so one of our subscribers at canesport.com, he goes by the name The You. He posted something this morning that I think um, is appropriate for the conversation tonight. Let me read to you what he wrote. We have a coach that won't allow the BS to go on here that has gone on here for 20 years. Players don't like it, and many of them can't handle it. Many need to go and will be gone. Some coaches need to go. It's called building a lasting foundation and not a temporary quick fix. You are with us or against us. You want a national title winning program? Then let him build it and stop with the nonsense many of you continue with each week. You all will be very happy if you just let the man do what we brought him in to do. Mario Cristobal is getting paid $8 million a year to come here and straighten out this program. And no, this year has not gone as well as he would like. I'm sure it's worse than he thought it would be after working all through the, the, the winter, spring, and fall to put this football team together. They were absolutely annihilated by injuries uh, and all sorts of other setbacks, and it's been rough, and, and it, it reached its 
absolute worst on Saturday night at Hard Rock Stadium with a packed stadium that was ready to embrace the moment and propel the Hurricanes to new heights, and they fell flat and laid an egg uh, on national TV. And I can assure you that that was devastating to Mario Cristobal. Uh, but, you know, those of you who have uh, had these conversations with me and, and been on our website, uh, you guys know that I have a absolute firm conviction that Mario is the right guy, um, the guy with the mental toughness, the, the guy with, with the um, professional resume and foundation to handle the difficulty that this job is presenting and come out on the other side in a good place. And it's going to take a couple of years. There's no doubt about it. Um, but uh, there is hope for the future. And I hope we can talk a little bit about that tonight and, and kind of break down where this thing is going here in the near term and how they can bring this program back the way that I'm talking about right now. I will lay it out for you. Uh, with the help of uh, have Matt Shodell come on and uh, we'll have the voice of the fan Bruce Warner on as well later and then hopefully your, your phone calls. And we will uh, start dissecting, like instead of whining about what's happened, uh, just how do they get out of this mess? How do they move forward from this point? So all of that is on the table tonight at Kane Sport Live. The number once again is 563-999-3550. 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. Uh, let me begin in the 561. You are live on Kane Sport Live. How are you doing this evening? Hello, Gary. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Who's this? All right. So, so, so my name is Matt. I'm from uh, Palm Beach County. And you know, I, I you know, I'm I'm gonna be the one who brings up the pink elephant in the room, okay? Um, I'd like to talk about football, but I can't help but be sickened, right? And I'm a Kings fan for forty years by the comments of Ed Reed. A hero to so many of us, an icon to so many of us, and yet this man endorsed or stood by Kyrie Irving, who endorsed an anti-Semitic film. This is a coach of our university. This is a person who is around kids. This is a university that, that, that you know, where people come together and, and celebrate our differences and, you know, derive strength from our pluralism. And we have this coach who comes out, and, and supports, a, you know, an anti-Semitic notion. This is outrageous. Where has the university's response been? Why is nobody bringing this up? I know nobody likes to talk about it. It's sensitive. We don't want to make this guy into a martyr. But what are your thoughts, Gary? And what do you think the thoughts are of Mario Cristobal about this subject? I, I think he that... He's a coach on our football team. I think it was very disturbing to a lot of people. Uh, I know I got a bunch of phone calls and texts from people that are saying the same thing that you're saying. And I kind of like grimaced a little bit because uh, everybody kind of feels the same way you do, that the University of Miami has a responsibility to throw itself in the fray on this thing. 
and and make a statement and come out against uh, what Ed Reed posted. And uh, obviously, Ed Reed made a horrible, horrible choice here in uh, throwing himself into an issue that had absolutely nothing to do with him. Okay, um, you know he's got to be more responsible than that. He is part of the University of Miami athletic department, even if it's in a um, minimal role. People do see him as being part of the football program, and he's a representative of that. And he used just horrible, horrible judgment. The, the thing that stunned me the most was that the tweet stayed up. And I'm going to check right now and, and, and see if it's still there. Um, but, like, I was, I was astonished that he was not asked by the university, Ed, can you please delete that tweet? You know, it's offending a lot of people. I mean, you know, you have a university with a university president who is Jewish. Um, many of the board of trustees are Jewish. Many of the students are Jewish. A community that has a lot of uh, Jewish uh, individuals in the community. And this would be horrible even if that were not the case. Uh, so, I mean, I was surprised that somebody didn't very quickly um, get to Ed Reed and say, Ed, uh, can you please delete that tweet? Well, Two days later, I'm looking right now, it's still on his Twitter. So I don't know if that phone call got made and Ed Reed refused to remove it. That would be one issue. And now you've got a real problem if you're the University of Miami. Um, if they did not ask Ed to remove it, I think that's another issue. That's a mistake. And um, I guess the third aspect of it is that if they did ask him to remove it and he wouldn't, what's the benefit of going to war with Ed Reed and, and dying on this sword? Uh, what does the University of Miami gain by putting itself in the middle of this issue? So uh, it's complicated, man. It is a horrible I, – I hear you, and like I said, you, your opinion is what many, many people's opinions were. There was, everyone was – uh, very justifiably offended by it and that he would uh, come out in support of that the way he did. Uh, but, you know, I put my PR hat on and I think about if I were representing the University of Miami and, 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 and I was their counsel on this and I had to make a recommendation to them, do you, do you put yourselves in the middle of this by making a statement on it? Um, Man, I'll tell you, I don't know that I would counsel them to do that. I got to be honest, as horrible as the whole thing is, I, I just don't, I don't know where the benefit is for the university. You know, the, the university no, should have asked Ed Reed to remove it. And if he didn't remove it, when they asked him, shame on him. And, and, and poor Mario Cristobal, I agree with you. I think he is a solution. He's going through a horrible season. Uh, you know, with better talent than they had last year, we're losing games. I'm not sure what that's all about. And again, I've been a close supporter of University of Miami for a long time. I'm an alumni of University of Miami. But, you know, you also have to ask, at what point is he, as a leader of the team, responsible to go over to Ed and say, hey, Ed, this is not okay. This is not conduct we can tolerate, whom are, are, are Jewish, I assume, uh, who contribute greatly to the NIL uh, fields, right? So, so this trickles down. This is a complicated, and we don't want to make uh, this guy into a martyr. But I don't think he knows better. He's just reckless. He's probably not too bright, right? And, and the shame of it is he's a symbol of, you know, everybody rallies around Ed Reed, right? 
you know, all 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 fans and supporters of the University of Miami, we rally around the icon. And to have somebody so reckless and so shameful in his actions to, to, to endorse or to not, you know, take a moment and reflect, you know, I'm not sure what the answer is. You know, silence is a scary thing, Gary, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, something that, that is the pink elephant in the room, nobody wants to talk about it, but to, to me, to anybody who's, you know, it's a terrible, terrible situation. I think. Yeah, I mean, no, I I totally agree. I mean, I just don't know that the answer was for the university to throw itself um, into the middle of that fray. You know, I don't know what what they gain by doing that. Because what are they going to say? What are they going to say? We do we do not. You know, the University of Miami does is does not condone in any way the statements made by Ed Reed on Twitter in relation to the Kyrie Irving situation. Um, we, you know, we regret it or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever terminology they're going to put together, what does that accomplish? It, it, well, it know, doesn't change. In, I mean, obviously, in, right. Huh? We couldn't get Alonzo in the beginning. And I think, uh, Diaz brought in, right. It was a PR uh, move by Manny Diaz. He, yeah. Right. He doesn't do, right. he doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. It was a PR move. I love it. You know, I mean, I've always, I'm like everyone, like, man, Ed Reed has been an icon, but like, yeah. The whole thing was a PR move. He's not there a lot, and uh, the truth of the matter is, he, he he's not a major contributor to the football program. So Mario sure as heck isn't going to want to get want to put himself in the middle of it either. <laughs> right, but he should. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't blame him, but he, I think it's talking about being a man, being a leader, and saying, "Hey, Ed, listen, man, this is not okay. This is not something we're going to tolerate here at the University of Miami." Okay, now you're going to, you know, I don't know how you educate somebody. But, you know, but they so can't get them to remove it. I can't believe that nobody called today. <laughs> hey, Ed, can you please re- remove that? So I got to believe that well, somebody made that call. And Ed's response was, no, I'm not. That's my, that's my personal beliefs or my personal opinions. I'm not deleting it. So now what are you supposed to do if you're in University of Miami? We are severing all ties with Ed Reed, one of your most iconic players in history. It, it's a no win. It's a no win. It was a stupid it, move it, by Ed. He should not have done that. He should not have gotten himself into that situation. You know, I'll say one more thing. You know, nobody denies, nobody should deny that slavery happened in this country, right? You know, nobody should investigate whether slavery happened in this country, right? Nobody should, you know, investigate whether there's a Holocaust or, you know, uh, whether a Holocaust happened. You don't deny certain facts, right? And yeah. and to have a guy on a team around young kids who are impressionable, who who subscribes to these beliefs or in any way endorses somebody who's a racist or anti-Semite is so reckless that it's tantamount to having somebody evil in this program. And again, as we discussed, I don't know what the answer is because you certainly don't want to make a moron like this a, a, a martyr, right? But the answer is to education. So somebody saying, hey, Ed, you, you got to learn – a little bit about you know about the history of the world, right? And and about truth yeah. about and I don't know how you do it with somebody who's who like that. And the shame is, the shame is, it it, it just lingers over the University of Miami so badly right now, and it's so unfortunate because so many people want to love the guy, and he's setting himself up to be hated and hurting so many people. Thank you so much, Gary. You got a great show. I enjoy Kane Sport. I enjoy everything about what you do for the university. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. And um, for those of you that aren't familiar with this whole thing, um, you know, go, go.
go online, read up on what happened with Kyrie Irving, and then take a look at Ed Reed's Twitter, and you'll see what he posted that offended so many individuals and corners of the university community. And like I said, I heard, I heard from so many of them yesterday by text, uh, email, phone, and uh, people were really disappointed that Ed Reed, you know, put himself into that uh, fray. And um, hopefully at some point somebody finds a way to rehabilitate that because uh, I just, like I said, I can't believe that it hasn't been deleted, but uh, I got to assume the University of Miami made the request. All right, 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. Uh, let's go out to the 917. You are live on Kane Sport Live. Hello? 917, you with us? Hey, Gary, what's up, man? BK Hurricane. There you are. Hey, what's up, BK? How you doing this week? Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I, I was picking up some stuff. I spilled on the floor. Yeah. Ooh, hey, Gary. Uh, man, that last call, man, I really don't want to hear that. <laughs> you know, I try to escape, you know, this as much as I can. You know, I need a break from it sometimes. I'm not denouncing it or anything like that. You know, I'm African-American, and, you know, I go through a lot. I know a lot of people that go through a lot, but every once in a while I just want to detach from some of the things that are going on. You know what I'm saying? But there's a time and place for everything. You know, you know, I condone that, you know, like I, you know, I could sympathize with what the guy was saying, but, you know, you know, I go through my little, you know, setbacks all the time. So, but in that case, uh, you had posts um, during, I think your chain sport, you know, you know, morning show. Like you yeah. had said something about uh, you spoke to a couple of people and they referred to, you know, they mentioned an all-star team. And it says, is an all-star team really a team? And you got me thinking about that. Yep. Mario Somebody made that point to me and I started thinking about it. I'm like, wow. You know, because everyone says, right. how can Miami. As well, when you said it. Yeah, like how can Miami have this lineup of all-star coaches? They've been head coaches. They've been at the top of their profession, the, the Broyles Award winner. And how could this team be struggling so much? And, you know, you can't just sit here and just blame the players. I mean, the coaching staff has struggled this year, too. And the point of putting an all-star team together is not necessarily a team. And there's so much truth to that. Like, these guys have never worked together before. They never worked together because Mario took it upon himself to hire position coaches before he hired a defensive, a defensive and an offensive coordinator. And usually there's a cohesion with, you know, offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and some of their staff, there's usually a cohesion. Like offensive coordinators are usually quarterbacks, coaches. They'll say, hey, can I get, can I bring in, can I come in with my wide receivers coach? Because he understands, uh, you know, my route tree. He understands, you know, the plays I like to run. But Gaddis and Steele both were forced to work with guys they may not have necessarily have worked with before. Now, I'm not defending the two hires, but after you said it, it, it made sense. Yep. It all made sense. To me. It all made sense. M- Mario just went out and just hired all these coaches and then hired the coordinator. So now the coordinators were, you know, they had to work with what they had. And isn't that the reason why the the Toledo head coach didn't take the position? Because Mario wouldn't allow him to bring a couple of guys with him. 
uh, I mean, that was some scuttlebutt at the time. I, you know, I, I mean, that was the rumor. That was the rumor. I'm not saying it's it's 100 percent true, but that was that was a rumor that was going around. He wanted the job, but then he wanted to bring a couple of guys with him. But if I remember correctly, Mario was, told him he could have, have one. For it. If I if I remember correctly, BK, I think he would have been allowed to bring okay. one. Okay. Right, and you know, and co- coordinators usually like to work with their guys. You know, they usually like to work with, or at least people they've worked with before, prior. Because you know, like you maintain the continuity. You know that you know there's a cohesion, there's a continuity there. Everybody's kind of like on the same page. So now you're dealing with a bunch of coaches that come from different uh, systems, uh, methodologies, things of that nature, and you're trying to mesh it all together. And it it just is just not working right now. It's just definitely not working. And the more and more I hear Josh Gaddis talk, the more and more I think he's going to stay. You know, well, I, if he doesn't have a better job, he's certainly not quitting at one point eight million a year. Oh no, he's definitely he's definitely he's definitely not quitting because if he doesn't get fired, you know, he's going to tough it out. He's just going to do what he has to do because he had aspirations to being a head coach, you know, like most coordinators, they have aspirations to being head coaches. So if he gets fired here, this would, this would just totally derail his career. Kevin Steele is a different story. On the other hand, an older guy, he may call it quits after he would probably call it know, quits if anything more guy here happen. But I don't think he's getting. I'm I don't sorry. Think, I, I still. I, I I don't think Kevin Steele's getting fired. I don't. I mean, I don't think anybody like I know. I certainly don't blame him at all for what's going on on defense. Right. I mean, you know, he's he's watered down the defense as much as you can, and they're still having you know bust after bust after bust. I mean, um, it's harsh for me to say this, but it's the god honest truth. I mean, the, the football IQ on this team is not great, you know, and um, Manny Diaz had a very simple defense. It was just like run around, go crazy and try to create chaos and hope it works out for you. Right. This is a much more fundamentally sound defense that Miami's playing this year with very specific responsibilities and guys are making a lot of mistakes and, and, at, you know, taking bad angles, getting out of position, not, um, not filling their gaps like they're supposed to. I mean, Florida State had a run play the other night. They ran the same play 32 times. Well, they only had 64 snaps in the entire game. 50% of their plays was the right. same play, BK. The same play. Like, when have you ever seen that? They just kept running the counter play over and over and over and over again, knowing that they could pound Miami into submission. Right. I mean, after I heard it, you know, after I heard it, I, you, I couldn't believe the number, you know, as well. Like, I know they ran the play a lot. But I didn't think it was half their play call. And like, I didn't realize it was 32 either. I thought it was more like 15 or 16. And then Kevin Steele yeah, told, right. told me the other day it was 32, exactly 32 times. That's exactly what I thought. Times. It was like 32 times. I'm like, that's half the plays. That's, and, that's literally and you know they were making, play. You know they were making adjustments on the sideline. Well, running it and it, running. It, I, I have never seen that before. I've been covering football for 40 some odd years. Like I've it. never seen that, BK. The same play over and over it, again 32 yeah. times? Oh, man. Yeah, but you know what? Like, you know, like the, you know, like the word came out of Florida State Camp. I was listening to one of their podcasts. They were like, they were preparing for Syracuse by Wednesday <laughs> because they were so confident. 
that they had Miami figured out that they already had started preparing for Syracuse, like mid-practice week for Miami. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I just, I, just, I just couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. Do you think that, like, during the week, like when Miami gave Tyler Van Dyke a shot, they took practice time away from uh, Garcia and Brown? Like, they could have focused more on giving them practice time and just telling Tyler, listen, man, you're hurt. You got to sit it out. Because that could have went you know, to Jacory, and I hope to see Jacory the rest of the, of the way. He's a very athletic kid, and you know they might be able to work something out. You know, like you know, some plays out. You know, form. You know, whatever it is. But I say just go with Jacory the rest of the way. You have nothing to lose. Well, here's what I'll tell you. I can only give you my opinion. Uh, I don't think Jacory, in any way, shape, or form, is ready to quarterback a college football game, uh, you know, go, going out there and, you know, running a couple a handful of plays, basically being a battering ram, it running into the middle is one thing. And that's what he did. I think 12 times himself the other night was basically just taking the snap and running straight up the middle. Um, mm-hmm. he, he only threw, he, 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 he was five of nine for 37 yards, BK. Miami only threw for 62 yards in the game the other night. You can't, you can't win like that. You want if they, you could go do that at Georgia Tech, and you're going to get you get killed at Georgia Tech Nick, this weekend, huh? Oh, and man, and it's I don't not. Want to think about it, it, it if we lose to Georgia. No, Tech. I'm just telling you based on what, and I've said this earlier. Like, I watched Curry Brown in, in in the spring and fall, and I walked away thinking this kid is a dynamic athlete that can help this team a lot. I personally would have taken him and made him an all-purpose offensive player, and I would have lined them up everywhere. I would have lined them up in the backfield. I would have lined them up. He he had a jet sweep at Virginia. Um, I would have lined them up at a receiver. I would have lined them up in the slot. I would have moved him around, and I would have tried to do all kinds of stuff with him because he is a dynamic athlete. He was a tough-as-nails kid, and he can – to an offense that didn't have a lot of juice this year, I felt he could have added some juice, and I would have gotten creative there personally. Um, but when I watched him as a quarterback, like not even being able to hit hit a net half the time, a stationary target uh, 20 yards away with nobody covering anybody, just the net. Like, uh, and I saw how how erratic his passing is, and and he's just not ready. You know, he might maybe one day get better and be ready, but right now. He is not ready to be a major college quarterback, in, in my opinion, with any degree of consistency. And he was in there quite a bit the other night. And you saw on third down, they, they kept bringing Jake Garcia in, who has been playing just absolutely horrendously. And, uh, you know, when Jacory couldn't really get anything done in the passing game, he completed one 15-yard pass to Xavier Restrepo and everything else was just basic, uh, you know, near the line of scrimmage and stuff. And, and you can't run an offense like that. It's just, it's not sustainable. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I've heard a lot of the, the calls for Jacory to be the quarterback the rest of the season. On one hand, it would give you a chance to have a firm conviction on what he can and cannot do before you go into December where, I will be shocked if both Jake Garcia and Tyler Van Dyke come back next year. I don't, 
Uh, I don't forecast that happening at all. And uh, I you know, think both of them are gone. They could. I was just going to say. He did. I mean, he stunk up the place so much that I don't think he. I mean, he's going to end up like Mark Pope and D. Wiggins if he. That's how bad he looked. He, yeah. He uh, I, I'm, I'm stunned because you know I I like Jake Garcia and I, I feel I still feel that he's capable of being a decent quarterback, but he clearly was not prepared these last three weeks to take on the responsibilities that he was asked to take on and he looked horrendous and he's, he's been a turnover machine. I mean, he, he turned the ball over after having five turnovers in his responsibility against Duke. And then a few more against Virginia, he turned the ball over on two of the first three plays that he was in the Florida state game. I mean, that's insane. Uh, So like, I don't know what the future holds. Um, I, I do think that he very likely will go in the portal. And I think Tyler Van Dyke is going to have a decision to make based on what the situation is going to be from a talent standpoint that he would be surrounded by and an offensive coordinator standpoint. Because the fact of the matter is Tyler Van Dyke was a really good quarterback in, under Rhett Lashley. He threw for 300 yards in the final six games last year. This year he's had two 300-yard games. But it has been rough sledding this entire year. And uh, he has agents now and, and, and uh, obviously parents. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of debate there. Do, do I come back? You know, next year is my money year. I wanted this year to be my money year. It didn't work mm-hmm. out. Next year is really my money year. Do I want to play well, that money year where I've got 10, 15, 20, $30 million on the line based on how I perform? Do I want to do I want to uh, put all of that future earning on the line with this offense and this set of players that have, that we have colossally failed this year? And um, that's harsh as heck, and it pains me to discuss it on real terms like that. But that is reality, and that is going to be what's going to be going on. So. Yeah, there's there's a good chance that Miami is going to be playing next year with a quarterback out of the portal, the way Oregon is doing this year quite successfully. And um, there's, I think, as equal a chance as Miami could be doing that as Tyler Van Dyke comes back to be the quarterback next year. Damn. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't it crazy? The offensive coordinator is next year as well. Well, yeah, if Josh Gaddis is back. And you're Tyler Van Dyke, like, you know, these are all, these are not fun situations. And, you know, yeah, Mario makes $8 million a year, and he's got to put his big boy pants on and make all these decisions. But, like, this is not fun, man. I mean, because, you know, if you're Mario Cristobal and you're not standing by the offensive coordinator who won the Broyles Award last year, who – couldn't do much with the personnel that you guys inherited. And now you're sending him out onto the street, which some people will look at and interpret as scapegoating. And now you got to go out and you got to go into the offensive coordinator market where you just were. And you got to go hire another offensive coordinator who's going to be sitting there saying, well, shit, the first, the minute something goes wrong, I'm going to end up getting fired. Why would I put my career at stake over there at Miami? Oh, like, like things are not as simple and black and white 
as people want to think they are. And, you know, people get angry. Gaddis has to be fired. We see it everywhere. We see it on Twitter. We see it on message boards. Uh, somebody's going to call into this show, I'm sure, soon this evening and, and talking about how Gaddis has to be fired. And it's not as easy as that, man. Like, there are so many layers to this. And, uh, but this is what, you know, Mario Cristobal, you know, it's his responsibility to sort through all the laundry and figure out a way to come out with clean clothes on the other side. And he's going to have to do that here uh, in a few weeks. But uh, it's not it's not fun, man. He's like, I can't even see, you know, if you put it that way, like, damn, like, that's true. If you let go, of, well, you know, we got rid of Dan Enos and, you know, after a season, so I don't think it's going to affect us all that bad if we make the right hire. But I think the consensus throughout college football is that this was a bad hire by Mario. So if he was to let Gaddis go, no, no one would be shocked. Let me ask you a no question. Why was it a bad no hire? I, and I'm not, I'm not just wait, wait, BK. Money. Listen, I'm, BK, listen. I'm not defending Josh Gaddis. I'm neither defending or attacking well, no, him because because let me just tell you something. I don't feel like I know. Okay, honestly, like I don't feel like I have the foundation to have a conviction on Josh Gaddis. So I I'm not coming down on either side. Um, but you you just said that you came down on the side that Gaddis has to go. Gaddis hasn't been good. Why do you feel that way? Well, I'm not necessarily saying that. I'm hoping that he turns it around, to be honest. But when you look at, you know, like you said, I mean, they've been saying that the product isn't there on the field in regards to we don't have the, we don't have the athletes, right? Okay, we don't have the right athletes to run this system that he would like to run. But then I blame Gaddis here at the point where it's like, okay, you realize that we don't have the athletes to run your system. So why don't you just let the kids run kind of what they know, what, what made them successful the prior year? Cause we're seeing a lot of plays left on the, you know, you know, in the playbook, you know, let's just simplify, simplify the offense. Let's try to get back to the screen game. You know, let's figure something out. I didn't see one trick play. I mean, when you're not that great, you you know you you know you kind of become a little bit more innovative in your play calling. I didn't see any of that. Like, where's the trick play? Okay, we suck. Okay, at least let's try to surprise them with a trick play here and there. You know, like let's just get to what the kids are kind of used to. And there's a stubbornness there that we're not seeing that. Now, I'm not blaming Gaddis. When Gaddis was hired, I wanted him to succeed. I wanted him to succeed because we all see what that offense could look like if you have the right team because Georgia runs a very similar offense. Georgia's offense is not that dynamic, but look at what happens when you have those type of athletes running that offense. It looks pretty good. Michigan the same way. When you have that type of athlete running that offense, it looks pretty good. But Miami does not have those athletes. Not even close. Athletes. So that's the only now, problem he would get is. You did make an interesting comment, though, where you said, you know, why not run what was successful? Now, you could argue that both ways. Like, was it successful? Uh, you know, really? Like, you know, it was, it was successful the second half of the year last year. 
but they did lose a lot of games. And uh, but it's certainly more successful than what we're watching this year. But what coaches when they come in, they install their systems. Josh Gaddis was hired to install his offensive system at Miami. He wasn't hired to come in here and try to learn Rhett Lashley's system and install that. And that's just that's just the way it is. Now, right or wrong, I guess depends on the results. But uh, I'm not sure Miami had the personnel this year to run Rhett Lashley's offense either. So, all right, BK. Well, uh, thank you so much for being part of the show, all right, man. Gary, just leave me on. Leave me on. I I hogged the line up too long. Just just leave me yeah, on. No sweat, man. Thank you for being part of the show. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week. All right, let's go to the three three six. You are live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary. Who's this? This is Charles. I'm a first-time caller. Hey, what's been up, Charles? I've for a couple of years now. I met you a couple oh, of times awesome. in you, uh, Carolina. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm up here in North Carolina. I'm from North Carolina. I met you at a couple of Carolina games, Duke games, Blacksburg, Charlottesville a couple of times. But, um, I just want to call in. I'm like uh, BK, um, the mess from the first caller. I just didn't agree with it. You know, um, I'm a African-American as well. And uh, um, I think looking at, you know, you don't want it to be a political show, but he brought politics into it, you know, <clears throat> and I just, uh, just his, his comments, because I'm a supporter of Kyrie as well. And what Kyrie did, I think it was a bad move mistake. And he came back and apologized for it. And I think what he did, you know, uh, he's looking at his people and he has a lot of friends, family, whatever, of all different races, nationalities, whatever, all that. He's already explained that, and he came back and apologized for it. But I don't think we need to throw out the baby with the water in that situation. Uh, and with Ed Reed, love Ed Reed. I mean, you can't go against Ed Reed. And I think Ed Reed's just showing solidarity. Yeah, the guy made a mistake, but we're not just through with it. We're not going to throw him out. And, you know, he's already clearly said that he's not anti-Semitic. So I think we need to go with that, you know, instead of just trying to keep piling on someone once they've made – an apology and said that they made a mistake. So now let's get back to Florida State, Miami. <clears throat> um, terrible game. I'm just, uh, I, I was just speechless. You know, got with a bunch of friends, fan, Florida State fans, Miami fans, and was just literally, I really thought before the kickoff we might have had a chance. But then once the game kicked off, and I just, you could just see it. You know, you could just see it that these guys weren't ready. Um, you know, Florida State came up with an engine. And I believe, BK, I think Florida State actually thought, after what I witnessed at Blacksburg and uh, Charlottesville this year, I think Florida State probably came up thinking, you know, hey, we're going to prepare for Syracuse midweek because we're going we're gonna to stomp Miami. And Yeah, uh, they fully expected to win the game the way they did. Yeah, 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 and it just looked like it. And I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with Mario. Um, I think he's going to turn the program around. I think he's going to need the time. But it just, um, you know, it's just going to take the time. And we just got to, we got to, we've done it 20 years. So what's another two, three years? But you just hope. I think he came in with such fanfare. And we've just been in the, in the uh, dumps for so long. We just thought with Mario coming in, it was just automatically finger snap, turn it around. And we just, we, now we're getting a real taste uh, eight games in that this is a project. This is not a, uh, this is not just a parlay thing. This is going to be a project. And I yeah, think yeah, I, I'm, I'm behind him. Ahead, yeah, I was just go going to say, I think it was realistic to hope to win eight, nine games this year. I mean, I don't think that was, like, crazy. Right. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it was crazy. And like I said, the games that we did, you know, that we did lose, um, like I said, just the way we lost. Like I said, and you go back, you guys go back to the Middle Tennessee State, Middle Tennessee. I watched that and was just like, you know, five plays. Um, but the A&M game, like you said, I think our guys were just banged up, you know, after that. Uh, but they played so well. And I guess you got to take into account the injuries, you know. But I think uh, Rooster, I really think he should have been playing more than he has been playing this year. I think it clearly shows Saturday that that kid should have been playing more. So, but I believe well, his that. Fum- well, his fumbles, game. like, were, were yeah, like, fumbles, you know, and I, and he like, might have cost them two that. games. Well, he might have, but, I mean, now if you want to go there, Gary, we can go there because I'm, I'm me and Kane Kane, we talk all the time. Now, if you want to go there, I will say that Van Dyke definitely cost us four games, you know. So, I mean, I'm just like, you know, you got you to gotta give it where it is. And, yes, those fumbles were crucial. And I could see the kid was totally torn up. But we know Rooster's not trash. We've seen that kid last year. You know, mm-hmm. we've seen what that kid could do. And I think he should have had more opportunities because he showed that without him Saturday, I don't even know if we had half the rushing, the yards we had, you know. We didn't. We wouldn't have. Him. No. So, uh, he, yeah, yeah. He so, had that one like for said, six. Just, he had one for 45 yeah. yards. Yeah. And then he was, just, I mean, like I said, he was just dead tired that last play. I seen him. I was like, man, that kid, he's got to get a breather, you know. He but, only I mean, had I four carries just, in the game. He only carried the ball four yeah. times. Right. Henry right. Parrish only carried it like six times. Yeah, yeah. But that's six, I mean, that's 60, that 45-yard run, you said, and then the other one he had, is like I said, he's out there on the field doing everything else. Too. You know, he's not just running the ball, but like maybe the plays that don't go toward him, he's still got to carry out the play. So, But I, I, I just think that uh, we've just got a project, and uh, we just got to, you know, I'm, 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 expecting, I'm expecting at least two years. I look at uh, – Norvell with Florida State. I mean, people say, yeah, 45-3, to three, that was terrible. But I remember two years ago, it was 52-10, you know, on their end in Norvell's first year, you know. Mm-hmm. And look at them now. So, like I said, we can, we can go back and forth. But I think, I think Mario will get it, and I think, we, I think we'll be back, you know. I but heard I think we got to eat this crow. <laughs> I heard through an intermediary that when Florida State prepared for the game, they felt like Miami's roster was at the level where they were three years ago. And, so and, what and you're saying it has holds a lot of holds a lot of truth. Yeah, yeah. But I'm gonna get off here, Gary. I'm just gonna listen to you guys now. But I just wanted to come on, like I said, it's my first time, and I love the show and just keep doing what you're doing. All right, man. Thank you for being part of it. All right, five six three nine 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 three five five zero five six three nine 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 three five five zero. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to uh, come on the show. And uh, plenty of room for everybody. Let's hear from some first-time callers tonight and, uh, you know, get some new op- op- opinions on the show as well. So 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad. And those of you that are in the queue right now but haven't hit the one, feel free to hit the one on your keypad, and we'll get you on the show as well. Let's go to the 386. You're live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary. Appreciate you taking my call. On this way, who's this? This is this Will. Hey, what's what's up, Will? How you doing tonight? Hey, man, I can't complain. Uh, I want to apologize that uh, I can't be as optimistic as you and the previous caller so far. I am very, very, very hurt and disappointed. But before I get to my question, I just you know want to. 
make a comment about um, fire about you know there are some calling for the offensive coordinator's head. I mean, haven't we all you know seen this movie before? Fire, 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 and nothing changed. Fire Dan Enos, fire Patrick Nix, fire Blake Baker. Uh, fire Mike Rump, numerous offensive line coaches, uh, the defensive coordinator that Al Golden brought in. I can't think of his name, but fire him. All of these coaches that, you know, have been fired or either uh, fans have been wanting to see get fired, and the situation didn't improve. But my question to you is, I have a few here. I, you know, I talk about things that, you know, have been discussed uh, amongst the Kings fans that I be around on a daily basis that uh, won't call the show, but they're out there listening. And it's, it, it's mind-boggling to me. How is it that two years ago we beat FSU by 42 points Last year, with basically the same players we have this year, the game in Tallahassee goes right down to the wire. And a year later, they come to Miami in front of a sold-out crowd and beat us by 42 points. That's 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 a head scratching. I don't I don't understand how that could happen. It's hard to explain a lot of things, Will. Um, my other, my other question is, and and like I say, I I can't be as optimistic as, you know, everyone else, but, um, I thought we learned our lesson when, you know, after, you know, with the Mark Rick situation, why did Miami sign, uh, Mario Cristobal to a 10 year contract? Why not four or five years, you know, evaluate him after that and then go from there? Why 10 years? Um, I think there was a firm conviction that he's the guy to take on this project. And I think they're tired of going around in circles and they, they wanted to get behind somebody and give him the resources that he needs to compete on the national level and build the facilities and build the program infrastructure the proper way. And to get Mario to come from Oregon, they had to make it appealing for him. And, uh, essentially it's almost like a lifetime contract, uh, you know, I mean, $8 million a year is a very competitive salary in college football. He'll make more if he wins here. And, uh, you know, I just I think that they, after replacing um, Mark, uh, Mark Rick with Manny Diaz and, and going around and around and around, and, uh, you know, before that Al Golden and Randy and just going around in circles, I think they wanted to really plant their speed with somebody that they had a firm conviction was going to be good enough to get the job done. And, and I think they made a good decision. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think Mario is probably not real happy with what's going on this year. And I'm sure he's looking over his back and saying, man, did I do the right thing leaving Oregon where, you know, they're sitting there with, I think six and one or something and, and competing for the PAC 12 title again, which Mario had already won a couple of times and um, maybe even competing to go to the college football playoff. And he's sitting here dealing with this mess at Miami. So, you know, but uh, I think that he can, in the big picture, he could build a better program at Miami and, and uh, a sustainable program.
program at Miami, and it's just going to take a little patience. But um, And I'm going to have Matt Shodell on here in a, in a minute, and we're going to talk a little bit about this because he and I spent some time on this today. But um, the fact of the matter is that you can do it very quickly right now. It doesn't have to take five years. In the past, it used to be a five-year deal. Uh, you know, it took Butch five years. It took Howard five years. Uh, it doesn't have to take five years anymore because of the portal and the fact that there's a new rule which allows you to sign as many kids in a given year as you want up to the 85 total scholarship limit. So what you are going to see is a massive exodus into the transfer portal, probably somewhere in the ballpark of you know, 25, 30 guys that are going to free up spots. And you're going to see Miami probably take 25 to 30 high school recruits and uh, 10 to 15 transfers this year uh, to fortify this roster to get ready for next season. Mm -hmm. Well, my last question uh, is a agree or disagree question. Um, is it just me? Or is the University of Miami is the only program in the nation that's screaming to the top of their lungs that we don't have the right players in place? I don't hear that coming from any other university. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it seems like, you know, we're, you know, converting to, uh, you know, all these excuses, 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 and and. There are things that, you know, I see going on. There is no way, there is no way Florida State is 42 points better than we are. I don't no, even I know agree. if Middle Tennessee, I don't even know if Middle Tennessee has won a game. I think they may have won one since they beat us. I mean, I I don't, I, I, I've seen coaching changes in the past at the University of Miami, but I, I can't. I don't recall it being this bad. I, I don't recall no, let being. Me, let me tell you, Will, what I think. What I think has happened, and, I, and this is just my opinion. Okay, I think these kids were asked to work harder from January through August than they've ever worked in their lives. I think it was a massive commitment on their part. I think it was there was a lot of pain involved, a lot of very grueling training that they went through to get ready for this season. When they went to Texas A&M and didn't win, and all that hard work did not pay off, uh, I'm of the opinion that that was devastating to these kids, and they don't; these kids don't know what it takes to win. And you know, I think it created a lot of doubt on their part, and I don't think they've been the same since. I thought they played pretty well against Texas A&M. I left College Station feeling very good about this team and where it might go this year. And I haven't seen the same team that I saw in College Station since. So I think that might be a factor. That's called mental softness, which, you know, I feel that this team is a mentally soft team. And I don't think they've liked very much how hard they've been expected to work and the demands that are made of them. And I think it's all come together and impacted the product on the field in the last month or so. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. And until they can turn the roster, which they can do very quickly, uh, I, I think it's going to be very hard to just say, oh, I'm changing the culture on Mario Cristobal's part. I, I think they need to start a new culture, and I think that's what they're going to try to do. Hey, well, I, I apologize for being a sourpuss, but you was a good sport for answering my question. Love your show. Talk to you next go round.
All right, Will, thank you for being part of it, man. All right, 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. Hit the one on your keypad if you would like to come on the show. Uh, I'm going to go out now uh, to our managing editor, Matt Shodell. And um, Matt, I, I wanted you to come on the show tonight for a little bit uh, to talk about a couple things. Um, one, you and I spent a great deal of time today going through the roster and trying to get a feel for who we thought would – most likely be going into the transfer portal here in a few weeks and how many scholarships that would free up. And we agreed on a lot. We disagreed on some and we were kind of in the, on the fence on a few. Um, I think that we could say for the sake of our discussion here on this show tonight, that there will probably be 20 to 30 kids that will be in the transfer portal off this team at the end of this year. Oh, am I on this? Am I on the show? You are on the long show, time, man. Uh, wow, long time. And this is and this caller. is not good morning, Kane Sport. We're very serious on this show. <laughs> good evening, Kane Sport. It's November eighth, twenty twenty-two. I'm Matt Chodell. I'm joined by the guy who keeps stealing what I said a long time ago about this roster not being fully cooked and the team being mentally exhausted. Uh, what were you asking me to talk about again? <laughs> you can't kick me off this show. Unlike Good Morning Case, where there's no button, you could kick me off. Well, I guess you could kick me off. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, never mind. I'll, I'll behave myself. Uh, yeah, we spent some time talking about the roster today, and I am more in favor of a massive overhaul than you are. Uh, I think I had about 35 guys. Oh, no, that's not true. 20. No, no, that is, because if we go down, we're not going to name individual players, but you had a lot of guys as either 50-50 or you keep them. Whereas I did not, and I would just jettison a lot of the guys. I mean, on the defensive line alone, I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys on the current roster that I would get rid of. And of those seven, uh, one you would keep, and four of them you said you were 50-50 on. So, I mean, that's just a, not a small sample size. But, yeah, I was way heavier on the get rid of these guys than you were. You definitely just because, were. Just because, it, yeah, well, you just said I wasn't. You're, you're definitely a more ruthless human being than I am. Well, it's, yeah, you've got to be ruthless, man. The team's – look, this is a business at the end of the day. It's a business of keeping fans interested. And right now, it's a failing business. And you have a two-year window, an unprecedented two-year window. Call it the Joe Biden spending plan where everybody gets money and then you vote him out of office. Uh, hopefully, Mario's not voted out of office because you have a two-year window right now, unprecedented two-year window where the NCAA has said to every program in the country – because we bloated your roster numbers with COVID, we're giving you two years, the classes of 2023 and the classes of 2024 only, where there's no more limits. You could take 85 players that are all freshmen. You could take 85 players that are all transfer portal guys, which I call, for those of you who don't watch Good Morning Kingsport, I don't like the transfer portal. I don't want the transfer portal because I feel the transfer portal is more for guys that are unhappy where they are, uh, our second team and third team guys for the most part. I don't want those guys, so what I call them is free agents. So you can take 85 free agents where you just, you know, bid a lot of money and get guys who are starting somewhere else that are really good that will come here and be starters and be really good. That's what I want. So, you know, we know this roster is not good enough. I am not keeping the guys. If, there's, if they only have one year left and they're average, you know, okay, I could see keeping them. But I don't want guys that are here for two to four years right now that we already know are average. So I jettisoned all of them. Gary, uh, in his infinite wisdom, is keeping some of them because, you know, why not? Why not be a nice guy, Gary? Some of them already transferred in. They can't transfer again. You feel bad. Okay. You know, forget the I fans. I mean, some of them are making some contribution. 
uh, you know, to the team this year. I mean, yeah, there's, you there's know, three, they, they, some of them are starters. I mean, there's three returning transfers that have that I think are really, really good, and the others are just like you know, you know, it is what it is. So, um, but anyway, so <laughs> I don't know what you wanted to talk about. I don't want to get lost in the weeds here. Well, I mean, yeah, no, that was one of the things, uh, you know, the exercise we had and uh, we agreed on like 20 guys that we thought would end up in the portal. And there was several that we agreed were 50-50. And then there were some that you said absolutely need to be in the portal. Um, I think the final um, analysis of that conversation would be that there are going to be 20 to 30 guys in the portal, which means Miami will be able to bring in you know, anywhere from 35 to 40 new players this year. I mean, that's, that's well, half a team. Yeah, well, the, and the other thing, look, I'm not Mario Cristobal. You know, as you know, I'm just a schmuck. But I would, I would A, jettison the guys that are, that are bad locker room guys, even if they're good players. I know for a fact some of these guys are not team players that are good players. I get rid of them. I don't care. Uh, you need to build the culture from the bottom up. It's, it, what I don't want them to do is the same thing that's been done for the last 19 years here, which is not good enough, which is, you know, if a guy is a good player, but he doesn't behave well, he's, not, he's a me, me, me guy, well, okay, you know, we'll put up with it. Because it sends the wrong message to other players. You know, there's, there's a player on this team that, um, that just basically said one game, he was healthy, to, he could play, but he said, I, I don't want to play today. And so he didn't play, and then they start him again when he, when he decides he wants to play again. Like, that's not for me. I don't want that. And to me, the most important thing about this program is setting the culture first because you can tell this team, A, is not having fun. We've literally had players tell us that the, the offense and defensive players are not getting along. They're pointing fingers at each other. It's, it's not a good situation. Is the team working hard? I think in their minds they are. Are they working hard to the level Mario Cristobal wants? Probably not. Like I said, you stole my – the whole thing, which I talked about earlier in the year, where it just looked like a mentally and physically exhausted team after Texas A&M. They were getting worked way too hard. Uh, and you can work a team that hard, but it has to be a team that can take that. This team cannot take that. Mario Cristobal did not recognize that. Mario Cristobal has to get a team that can take that, because we all know Mario Cristobal has done this before. He's a great coach. There's, there's no disputing that in my mind. But this is not a good enough team. And so what's the point of keeping guys who are culture problems who, you know, who, who, who are going to keep creating problems? What's the point of keeping guys on the roster right now that are just average? Blow the thing up. You've got a two-year window to make this a team that's going to be really amazing in four years. I will take the – and I said to you on Good Morning Canesport way early in the year, even in the preseason, I said I wish that Mario didn't take 12 transfers. I wish he made this year – the year where he just blew everything up and, you know, because he's a first year coach, bring in a ton more recruits, um, bring in free agents if they want to come, you know, not, not these transfers, the free agents, you know, they're younger uh, to build for three to four years from now, not to try to win now. He made this about let's try to win now uh, for, for sure. That's what he tried to do. And that plan failed. Uh, so now it's a case of, okay, we got to blow the thing up. I wish he had done it a year ago. The good news is it's not too late. You could blow it up now. You still have 2023 and 2024 unlimited. It will be fine. Uh, as long as he gets rid of all the players that I am recommending he gets rid of, I will be sending him an anonymous letter and email uh, in the near future <laughs> with my recommendation. All right, another, I'm sure, and, I, and I'm sure he will study it uh, very intensely. <laughs> uh, you know, another thing I wanted to talk to you about uh, tonight on the show because of the the time and effort that you put into it was um, there's a story on our canesport.com website tomorrow 
uh, taking a look at the run defense. And, you know, it's not something that's come up a lot during the course of this season, but when you take a deep dive into it and start looking at it as intently as you did, you come to the conclusion very quickly that Miami's got a big problem with run defense, and, and, and it does. And uh, so tell everybody a little bit about that story that's going to be on our site tomorrow. Uh, okay. Well, um, Gary assigned me this horrible story that took forever to write, uh, but it was interesting. Uh, Miami ranks fine in, in run defense, okay? They're ranked number 44 in the nation, which isn't great, obviously, but it's good enough. Uh, 139 yards per game allowed rushing, which is fine. Um, again, that's, that's good enough. But as I went through the story that Gary asked me to look at, which I didn't think would turn into a story because I didn't think there was anything there with really a run defense problem. I mean, yeah, it popped up against FSU. Everyone knew it was a problem against FSU, but you, know, you could have one bad game as a run defense. So as I went through, I decided, hey, let's look at all of Miami's previous opponents to really see, are these teams even any good at running the ball? Like maybe – this is a mirage like that 10-win team Mark Rick had was a mirage, right? They won 10, the first 10 games. Some of them closed, didn't look real good, and everyone was all excited. But, you know, if you really thought about it and you looked at who they beat and how they beat them, you said, hey, this is maybe a slightly above-average team to maybe, you know, above-average, but certainly not great. And people deluded themselves into thinking it was. And I think people deluded themselves into thinking this was a really great defensive line and a really great run-stopping defensive line when – it's not based on what I went through here. And, I, you know, you guys can watch tomorrow morning the, the, the gifts that I put together of some of the runs that FSU had. But then I also broke down all the opponents and what they now average in points per game on offense, rush yards per game on offense, uh, and what they ran for against Miami, plus those teams' records, which, by the way, are not real good. If you take out North Carolina, uh, which I think is 8-1, and one, right? Um, I think opponents are 31-41 and 41 that Miami's played. That's the, that's the cumulative record of Miami's opponents. And Miami's record against them doesn't really matter because it's basically close to 500. So 31-41 and 41 is the level of teams Miami's been playing this year. Uh, not real good. So anyway, the only three teams that I found that, that could run the ball with any level of decency, and we're not even talking about top teams in the country here rushing the ball, uh, other than Florida State, which is one of the better ones, okay? So it's North Carolina, Duke, and Florida State. Those are the only three teams, power five teams, that Miami's played this year that have shown any sort of aptitude to actually run the ball with any modicum of success. Uh, you can look up what modicum means um, later in the show, Gary. It's, it's, it's an interesting word. You start using it. North Carolina <laughs> um, average, average, averages allowing 167 rush yards a game, okay? Miami um, allowed 161, so, you know, average. Uh, what Miami gave up there. Duke averaged 208 yards a game. Miami gave up 200. Again, average. Uh, Florida State averaged 211 rush yards per game. Miami gave up 229. So what we're finding is this is not a real good Miami defensive line against the run. It's an average defensive line against the run, uh, perhaps even a little bit below average as you look at some of the other numbers um, from the other teams that they're not real good running the ball. So considering that the Miami defensive line is considered really the strength of defense right now, and you can see from this clearly that it's fairly average. I mean, you could argue that, hey, maybe they're better getting after the quarterback than in run defense. But the truth is, if you can't stop the run with your front seven and your, and your defensive line, I mean, you're just not going to win a lot of games. So it's a, it's a major trouble spot. It's a reason why I would jettison more of these guys on the defensive line than Gary, because I just feel like they're not good enough. And for, for people that think that this defensive line has been amazing, look at the story in the morning. They have not been. 
Yeah, and um, Matt did a really good job on it. So uh, those of you that subscribe to our website, do make sure you check that out in the morning. If you don't subscribe to our website, great time to come join us. Uh, there's going to be a lot going on these next few months. And uh, we have a $10 introductory special right now. So uh, take advantage of, of that. All right, Matt, we'll let you go. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. And um, I'm sure everybody is looking forward to seeing that story in the morning. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for uh, allowing me to participate and not kicking me off the show mid-sentence. <laughs> All right. Uh, have a good night, Matt. See you. For those of you that don't know what he's talking about, um, he gets so obnoxious on our Good Morning Cane Sports show that sometimes I just have to boot him out of the studio for the mercy of all of us that are participating or listening. But no, in all seriousness, he, he really did a fantastic job on this defensive line analysis that is going to be on the website in the morning. Uh, make sure you do check that out. All right, 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. You hit day one on your keypad if you would like to come on the show. Um, looking forward to hearing some more opinions this evening. Um, right now I'm going to bring into the studio to join me the voice of the fan, Bruce Warner. Um, on most weeks, we'll bring a former player on with us. Uh, this week, Bruce says, you know what, Gary? I got a lot to get off my chest. I got a lot I want to say. So we're going to do this thing this week. No former player. It's going to be all about Bruce and what Bruce thinks. And here he is, the voice of the fan, Bruce Warner. Bruce, welcome back to Kane Sport Live. You've got the floor. Well, I have to follow Matt. Jeez, thanks. <laughs> um, it's not just me. It's me and you. You know. But listen, you know that I've been talking about the D-line all season long on the Mars show, the D-tackles especially. I've been saying it, and I've been proven right. I don't care how good everybody thinks Taylor is and how good Jackson is. They're not good enough. They're not Tez. They're not Sapp. They're not Russell. They're not Jerome. They're not even close. They're the best of what we have, which is not good enough. So, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I want those guys gone. They need to be there. But they got to find some bigger dudes up front that could stop the run. And then you could use Taylor, who can play inside and get upfield. But you can't have – you just cannot have a run stuffer. And I think Jackson's okay, but he's got short arms. He's just, he's just not stout enough. And, you know, while I'm throwing some people under the bus, Maybe the guys out there who are listening to this will agree with me. I don't think Fell did such a great job in the offseason. This team still looks like a bunch of high school kids out there. They are smaller. They are thinner. They may be in shape, but these guys have been stronger and faster, not just the D-line, the whole damn defense. They look horrible, Gary. So many missed tackles, so many bad angles. So many like arm tackles and shoulder tackles. My goodness, I've never seen anything like this. I just haven't. And so, you know, <clears throat> let me start out by saying that I'm not happy at all. I'm not going to sit here and BS everybody because I didn't do it last year when I was adamant about getting rid of Manny. And one of the reasons was the recruiting sucked. They were getting on kids late. They um, were not developing players. They were bringing in guys that had no business playing here. So, you know, it's not so far-fetched to think that when Mario comes here, it's going to be that much different because he can't make these guys better. He can't make them bigger. I mean, he can. <clears throat> but some of them just don't have football IQs. When I look at a kid like James Williams, a five-star, says who? 
maybe in high school when he could do what he wanted, he freelanced, he made a lot of big tackles, whatever he did. But when you have to play within a system and you've got to have there's certain techniques and there's certain tips you got to look for, he's not doing it. He's all over he the place. He needs to be a linebacker. <clears throat> if that, I mentioned that earlier in the year, I think you might have said, no, he's not going to be. That's all he can be. He no, I've been be saying for two years he needs to be a linebacker. He's not a safety. He needs to be a linebacker. And uh, I think it's at the point now where they need to call him in at the end of the season and say, James, we're moving you to linebacker. If that doesn't work for you, then you got to go to the portal because uh, this can't be a PR situation anymore. Like, you know, hey, we don't want to get you upset. We're walking on eggshells. No, the, 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 it's, it's not about that anymore. James Williams, there is no, there's not one football person, Bruce, that I've spoken to about James Williams that hasn't said the same thing to me. That kid needs to be a linebacker. But you know what else he's not? I don't think he's so tough. His tackling is terrible. His technique to tackle is terrible. And I've not really seen maybe one or two good hits all season. But if he was a vicious hitter, but he just had bad angles and had bad reads as a safety, it could make him a linebacker. I don't know how tough he is. A lot of people have been saying that. He's kind of soft. So you can't be soft playing linebacker at the University of Miami. I mean, Taylor's good. He's gotten better. I know we had the, the conversation. He was talking about his mom talking to Mario, and he's kicked into a better a better player this year. He's doing better. And the other, the other guy out there, Avante Williams, I don't know if he's going to be back either. Another guy that's all this fanfare. And he takes bad angles as well, so it's kind of shocking. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's some of there's some of the players that Manny brought in, but they're not doing much. You know, and we're sitting here looking at where's the linebackers, where's the DBs. That's Manny. That's on Manny. It's not Mario. But and you know, I'm not going to say everything positive about Mario. I'm kind of sick and tired, and I think a lot of the fans are of him saying it's on me. We got to work harder. I'm tired of that crap too. You know, shut your mouth. Don't say anything because it's not working. Eight weeks of the same post-game story is getting a little obnoxious, if you ask me. So, but he is doing some things oh. that, that – I, all... I, I can tell you, Bruce, it's not his idea of what he'd like to be doing. I, I know. I know. But, I, he, you know, he's, but, trying to, he's trying to hold, hold the house together. Uh, yeah. He's talking to the recruits. He's reassuring them that they've got a plan and they've got this thing – under control. They just have to get through the season. And uh, that's all he can do right now. It's all about what they're going to do in December. I, I hear you. So, yeah, and, and I, this is going to be out of order now because of what you said, but those kids apparently are all in, and that's big. And there's more to come. You know this, some, and I know some, that I, we think are going to be here. And it's even going to be better than what it is now. And then, you know, you have to look at this. You want, you know, oh, look at Oregon. Oregon's playing great, you know. That's his guys. Don't sit there and tell me it's the, the, the guy from Georgia, the head coach. Those are not his guys. That's Mario's team. And it's the same thing that happened when Butch left for Coker. Coker won the title. Those are Butch's players. You can't argue with it. It is what it is. And so, you know, Mario's got a job to do. And as I also said many times on posts and on the shows, and Leon said it, Leon told him, if he told Leon, he told a few people, I cannot believe how these guys don't know how to work. And you could shrug it off and say, oh, it's just coaching speak. No, it's not. He was dead serious. You don't go around telling your former teammates that these kids just don't know how to work and be kidding around. That's, that's a serious comment. And that's obvious. Here we are five, six months post-spring, and they're still not working hard. They let it all out on the te- at the Texas A&M game. 
I don't know if five, six, seven weeks later they're still exhausted from that game. That's impossible. But, you know, there's a lot going on here. This is not, there's not one thing that anybody could say that's an answer. Certainly the injuries to Citizen and Restrepo and Zion Nelson did not help this guy at all. That was horrible that he lost those guys right before this. It actually maybe it was Restrepo game two. But you know what? you got to believe in this guy. We're Hurricane fans. We're all on this site, and I mean me because I'm not part of Kane Sport. I'm on a lot of the shows with Gary, but I'm not part of it. I'm a fan. And you got to understand, we have to, if we're on this site, we're Kane's fans, not anti-Kane's, not Gators or, or Seminoles. We're Kane fans, damn it. And so if you can't see that this guy's recruiting is night and day compared to the last four or five coaches he's had here and what he has going on in Oregon, you're blind. So maybe next year we'll be a young team, and maybe we'll win four or five games or six. I don't know, but I know one thing. If he gets his way and he does what he's been doing, in two years, three years, he's going to kick Florida's ass, Florida State's ass, and everybody else's ass because he's got the mindset and the ability and the recruiting capabilities and, of course, the NIL money to get it done. I'm the class he's got coming in so far. Thrill, Gary. I think these kids, and if they get the other offensive linemen, which I think they are, look out. They're going to be really good, you know? Yep. All right, the number to call in tonight if you want to get on the show is 563-999-3550. 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad, and that puts you in the queue, and we bring you on in the order that you land in the queue. we got an open board, so uh, if you'd like to get in tonight, uh, now's the time to call, and um, we will get you on uh, in short order. Um, so, Bruce, the, you know, you talk about the, the, the remake, and um, they are going to have the opportunity to do this very quickly. This is a unique time in college football with this rule that you can – you could take as many as many recruits in a, in a given cycle as you want, as long as you stay under the 85 limit. So there's right. going to be this great exodus to the transfer portal for sure. Some of them will be by choice, you know, kids that just do not want to be part of the program anymore. They don't like Mario. They don't like the, the demands being made of them, you know, whatever that is. Uh, they don't see the, a future here. There'll be a million reasons, but some kids right. will take themselves to the portal. Uh, and then there'll be some that'll be told, we want you to go to the portal. We're not renewing your scholarship. And, and there the is one or two of guys that he wants. There may be guys that he wants that are going to say, I don't care if you want me or not. I'm still leaving. That could happen. Oh, there's no question. There's going to be both. There's going to be all of that. Right. But there, there's going to be 20 to 30 spots get opened up um, in that way to go with the nine that are being opened up by graduation. And uh, I think Miami's going to add 35, 40 new players to this team in the off season. So that's a half a roster. That's a norm. That's, 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 that's too, yep. too deep almost man of players that will be part of this team next season. Some of them as right. soon as uh, early in the year. Right. And then there's, you have to look at the positives. We got young. Where the hell did he, I mean, I know where he came from. I'm just being facetious, but this kid's really good. I don't know if we could have gotten a recruit as good as this kid. He's really good. Not just he had one or two lucky games. He makes catches with guys draped all over him. Great hands. Mesador. Look, I love Inez Cooper playing. He's, he's going to wind up playing the last six games, get his feet wet. And, you know, in the inside as the, as the right guard, we got Jackson, we got Parrish, we got Saint. Um, I don't know about Shakuri Brown. I still don't know if he's a legit quarterback. But we've got Moss, who didn't play much this year, and Kelly. 
So there's yep. bodies here that have upside to them. All of them do. Yep. So um, yeah. So they're gonna, they're gonna be able to they're gonna be able to remake it really quick, and that's a good thing. Yep. Hey Bruce, sit tight for a minute. Um, Greg just popped in the queue, and I know he's antsy to get on. Oh. So let's get Greg. Let's get our man Greg on the show and see what he has to do. Greg, welcome back to Kane Sport Live. How you doing, guys? Um, doing good, Greg. How you doing this week? Oh, one. You know what? I didn't see the game, which is a blessing. I went to my uh, <laughs> class reunion. But thank God I didn't watch that abortion. Okay, let me. Can he? Can he hear so me, Gary? Yeah, he can hear you. All right, yeah, I can hear you, Bruce. What reunion were you at, Greg? My wife was just at a reunion Friday night, Saturday night too. No, I live in. It was in New. It was in New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey originally. It was in New Jersey. Me too. All right. Anyway. Hey, listen. I want to apologize to you for the post game show. You kept on getting cut off, and I was pissed. I told Gary about it. You're a good caller. You should be able to talk, but you got cut off. So I apologize. That's all right. Technology. That's the way it goes. Yeah, that's why we're we're back to audio only. Okay, so now, uh, who are we blaming for this debacle? Does somebody have to be blamed, Greg? Do you have to blame somebody? It's not Mario's fault. I mean, is, is, you could blame Manny Diaz. I, you know. Hold on a minute. Last year, we played a much tougher schedule. We, we were 7-5, and five, and we lost three games by a field goal with Manny Diaz coaching. They didn't quit last year. This team has quit on Mario. I, I agree. Okay? I agree they've quit. How could a yeah. guy with the stature of Mario Cristobal get quit on in his first year? How is this possible? I think it, eight million a year? Hey Greg, I, I've got I think I've got an explanation for that. Let me um let me jump in real quick. I think what happened was Mario came in all guns blazing and he coached this team and these kids like he would be coaching Alabama. Okay. And I don't think these kids could handle it. Like, I think they've caved in mentally and physically. Like they can't, they, I just don't think they could handle it. Gary, I think you're making Texas A&M game. Texas A&M has six losses. They're terrible. I'm, and we, and you telling me we're still tired? How come the other teams aren't tired? No, I didn't say tired. I, 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 I said I think that these kids have just mentally and physically caved in to what was being expected of them and the, the intensity and level of the work that was being expected of them. That's the only explanation I can come up with, Greg. These, these are all accomplished coaches, okay? They didn't, know, they didn't just suddenly all lose their coaching talent. I mean, you know, you got a linebacker coach that was a head coach for 15 years. I mean, you, you know, I mean, they didn't just suddenly lose the talent to coach kids. It, it, you know, the only explanation I can come up with for this is what I just said. I, I have no other explanation because you're right. The, I, I they, did. They, Gary, they were a better I, team I, last year. Yeah, I, I do because they had they had um, Harley – they had Rambo and a healthy Restrepo and a healthy uh, Mallory and a healthy six 300-yard games in a row from TVD. They, and the offensive line wasn't banged up like it is now. Their offense was healthier, and they had better players. 
They're not as good this year because the quarterback hasn't been healthy, but part of the season, the line has been destroyed without Zion and the rest of these guys getting banged up. They lost the two best receivers, and they lost Restrepo. So really, when TVD looks at, on the field, he goes, who the hell are these guys? He doesn't have any rapport with them. The whole thing is a mess. Plus, you factor in Gaddis and his play calling and the red zone play calling. Um, I, I can see why they're not so good this year. I can see it. Well, don't we, uh, Gary, you picked them for nine wins, didn't you? That's what I, I yeah, said. Yeah, I would do if, – if I, if I were doing this at the beginning of the season, I would do the same thing. I thought they could win nine games. We did say nine games. I, you know, I, I'm as shocked by what's going on as, as you are, Greg. I mean, I can't believe what I'm watching this year. Okay, Mario but, has to be Houdini to keep this recruiting class together and add on to it. He's got to be the best recruiter in the history of college football to watch that garbage on the field, and these kids are going to stick with him. I don't know how he's doing it. I heard anybody say they're not sticking with him, Greg. I haven't heard one person say they're not coming. No, no, I'm saying I give him credit for keeping him. I don't know how he's doing it. Um, He's doing it because because they've they've, – he he's doing it because they've you know they've they've had the kids bond with each other. Uh, these yep. kids are committed to to playing with each other. They've met each other on multiple occasions. They've been they've done a great job of getting all these kids in on weekends together. So they've gotten to know each and other. Harry, the, the families are in on this too. They all love this coaching staff. Yeah, the, the yeah. They've they've just done a great job of cultivating the relationships um, mm-hmm. of these of these kids, Greg. And that's why I, I think it's holding together. And I'm going to tell you another reason it's holding together. And that's because of the promise of NIL at Miami, that their NIL opportunity here combined with the reliability of getting paid as all of the current guys on NIL contracts have gotten paid. Uh, the combination of all that and Miami's budgets for NIL, which are as good as anybody in the country, and you put all of it together, that's why they've held on to them. And the ability to play early. They're, they're not blind. They see it. If these kids are playing early, they can get on the field. And that's what they want. Okay. If it, we're going to go with a lot of freshmen next year, that's going to yep. be another season. Not you, can games run, either. you can write it off if you're going to play all young guys. They're not okay, physically – they're not a, up to playing against seniors – and 50 seniors and guys like that. So that next year is going to be Greg. another shit show. Well, there's going to be a lot of transfers, Greg. There'll be transfers, too. You know, so it's so not going to have to all be freshmen. We hit three out of 12 transfers this year. That's not a good percent. No, you've done better than that. Yeah, Daryl Jackson, Mesidor, Henry Parrish. Agude, Agude, Agude's pretty uh, good. He's not, he's not great. What is he's he played pretty well. Yeah, I didn't say he was great. I said he's he's pretty good. He gets in the backfield a lot. The problem is that and why are we giving up forty five points three times this year if he's so good? Come on, it's not, it's not just him. It's not. It's just not him. Look at the, look at the secondary. How crappy they are. It's horrible. But the linebackers can't so, run. It's so not just Agude's fault. What's with the secondary coach? 
Is there a problem with him and, and the players? Uh, that's a, that, that's an interesting question because the secondary has probably underperformed uh, as much or more as any group on the team. They they have not had a good season. And do we have to see DJ Ivy continue to play? Why don't you play Chris Gray? Don't put yeah, him I, out there. I see what he can they, do. They took the best of the freshmen, Greg, and they put him out there uh, against Middle Tennessee, and on the first plays on the field, he gave up a, a long touchdown. Five touchdowns this year. Come on. He's, he can't cover anybody who can run. So what the hell is he doing out there? I There's nobody better. They don't have anybody better to put out there. They don't. That, this this is why. But, Greg, this is why there's going to be 20, 30 guys in the portal. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope it's more than that. But, anyway. All right, <laughs> Matt thinks it will be. All right, Bruce. Nice talking yeah. to you. Too, buddy. Anytime. All right, Greg. All thanks right, for coming right. on the show, as always. All right, 563-999-3550. 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. Uh, get get in now as we're uh, starting to get pretty deep into the show. So uh, if you want to come on tonight, uh, now's the time to call. Uh, so Bruce, what um, what else was on your mind uh, coming into the show tonight? Well, you know, um, I don't want to be a homer or a suck up. I sure as hell wasn't one last year. But you guys have to give them a chance to make the coaching changes if there's going to be some, and I think there will be, and player changes because you just talked about it and Matt talked about it. And save the nastiness for next year if it happens again. But they may be younger next year, but I don't think they're going to play like this. They're going to play hard. They're going to play better. They're going to tackle better. That's what I believe. Because they've got his people in there, not Manny's leftovers yeah, I, from the country club attitude that they had all along. I mean, they came they into this play. year playing hard. They were playing. They played as hard as could be at Texas A&M. Right. But they didn't look that they, great in the second game until they started running the ball. So it looked like they were having problems early in the season, except the first game, which you discount. But, but it wasn't effort. It no, wasn't because of effort. They, they played as hard as you can play at Texas A&M. And they didn't win. And, I mean, I think back, I remember when they played LSU in Dallas a few years earlier, and they didn't win that game either, and they played hard. And I remember those kids. Yeah. It took them weeks to rebound from that mentally because it was like, man, we were supposed to be better this year. We were supposed to be good enough to compete in these games, and we got our butts kicked again. Concerned about Saturday because after an FSU game, we usually are flat. Now these kids were embarrassed and flat, and I don't know what Mario can say to Mario can say to these kids. And Georgia Tech's coming off a win, so they're going to be jacked up playing. You know? I mean, we, they might beat us too. And there goes the, the chance of being in a bowl game and the extra fifteen practices. Clemson's going to smoke us, and then we have Pitt at home, which we haven't done well at home. So we might not win any more games this year. This game Saturday is big because it at least keeps you in the bowl p- p- picture, which they need to be. And that'll well, give Georgia Tech is a one-point favorite. Yeah, I know. I get it. And they're not good. What's their record? Four and five. What's our record? Four and five, and they're at home. I just, you so, know, I'm not that concerned about a bowl game this year. I, I, I almost would rather the coaches. I would rather see the coaches focus on recruiting in December. Okay. And I don't think these kids need 15 more practices. They don't need 15 more practices. I don't think they need 15 more practices to figure out who they want and who they don't want. I think they know already. Him and Alonzo know. They don't. That's stupid. They know. 
you know, they know. It's, a, it's, it's just a matter for the people to talk about whether they make a bowl game or whatever, but it doesn't matter. This season is shot. You said it weeks ago. It is shot. But he's got to make his decisions on who he wants. He's got to make decisions based on injuries. I mean, is Rivers going to be able to play next year? I don't know. You know, let's hope that Citizen is 100% healthy because he's very crucial next year. But if they wind up with these young offensive linemen to go along with Zion if he's back and this Cooper, they're going to be physical. They're going to be bigger and stronger, but I don't know how, you know, experienced. So next year is part of the rebuild. It's not, we're not going to the national championship game next year either. But just like when we had to follow Butch, you know, get him out of here, flying the airplanes. And in 98 with Edge, they beat UCLA in 99 and 2000. You know, they got jobbed not going to the title game. They could have been in the title game three years in a row. And we haven't seen anything or, you know, sniffed the playoffs in the last 20 years or, or a great bowl game. You got to give them the opportunity to do it. You can't keep telling everybody to get rid of this guy. He sucks. He's $80 million wasted. That's not true. Look at Oregon and look at the recruits he's got, and that'll tell you what our future is going to be, not what's happening this season. That's my thoughts. Stop with the bullshit about getting rid of this guy. Gaddis, that's another story. I, I, I said from day one, I just don't like him. I have my reasons. I just don't think he's – I just don't think he's – maybe I don't, I don't want to say sharp enough. It's just, there's just not an edge to him that you don't know what's happening. It just seems too damn predictable. And that can't be. There's too much talent and too much young kids around here that, that need to make to be on the field and play. So, you know, who did you have? Oh, you're not going to name names. I was going to say, what wide receivers do you think are going to be gone? But you're not naming names, right? No, I don't want to do that. It's not fair. Right. Well, I think a couple of them will be gone. Yeah, you I know. think there's going to be a couple of everything gone. All right. Well, all right, Bruce. Well, thanks, well, thanks for letting me in. You got it, man. Um, I guess we'll see you you tomorrow night on the uh, Lamar Thomas show. Yep. I'll see you with Lamar. Talk to you later. All right, man. Have a a good evening. All right. 563-999-3550-563-999-3550. Hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. I got a wide open board. So if you want to get on tonight, now is the time to call. Uh, in the meantime, I am going to go switch over to the topics and questions that were submitted by our posters at canesport.com in the last couple days to be discussed on tonight's show. Let's see. Uh, Kane Attack wants to know um, NIL amounts. Uh, he heard me say that each player on the roster was making at least about 40000 a year. Uh, I believe that that is pretty close to accurate. Uh, I can't say that every single one, I don't have an accounting of that, but I know a, a large number of players have deals with Life Wallet, which are all in the $35,000, $40,000 range. I know Dan Lambert at American Top Team is paying each player uh, $6,000 a year. So these guys, they, you know, they got some money in their pockets, and, uh, and uh, that, you know, that, that, that is the case, Kane uh, Attack. So, um, but somebody made a great point recently and said that the two most disappointing teams in college football this year are Texas A&M and Miami. The two teams slash programs that had the best and largest NIL programs this year are Texas A&M and Miami. Uh, is there a correlation there? Is, is there a connection there? 
Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd love to hear a psychologist's point of view on what having money in their pockets might mean for these kids. I mean, does it mean that they are going out in the evenings for dinner and doing different things that they wouldn't normally do as opposed to studying their play sheet and book for the week and showing up better mentally prepared for games because the coaches can only work with them 20 hours a week now. There's a 20-hour rule, and they can only work with them for 20 hours to prepare for games. And uh, kids got to go home and study, man. They got to make sure – that they are in their uh, in their uh, game plan and in their playbook, and that they know what they're supposed to do. And if they are not doing that, uh, yeah, hell yeah, that impacts the product and and the level of play on Saturday afternoon. So, is NIL having a negative effect in that regard? I don't know, but it's certainly a question worth thinking about, talking about, debating, because uh, it's been pretty obvious this year that a lot of players on this team have not shown up on game day ready to fulfill their role and their responsibilities on this team, and it has led to defeats. So, uh, you know, let's, uh, you know, you know take, take from that what you wish, but I think it's a legitimate conversation. Uh, JTH007 wants to know who's going to start a quarterback against Georgia Tech. Uh, I would say we don't know that right now. Uh, you know, they, 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 I think they're going through practice. They want to see what's the status of Tyler Van Dyke here as we get into Thursday. And uh, can, can he give it a go this week? Does he want to give it a go this week? Uh, I think from there, me personally – I think they got to start with Jake Garcia. I think Jake Garcia gives them a chance to run a complete college football offense where the run in the pass can be equally featured. Uh, Jake has got to prepare better. Uh, he was not very well prepared for the games he's played so far. He did not perform very well. Do you just give up on him? Uh, I would say no. Uh, I, I think the opposite. I think these next few weeks – there needs to be a final determination made. Can Jake Garcia play quarterback at the University of Miami? Because if the answer to that is no, you got to tell him go to the. You got to send him to the portal. You know he's got to be one of those twenty, thirty guys that I'm talking about that goes to the portal, and you got to you know be able to replace him. Uh, you've got two freshman quarterbacks coming in if, if as long as they stick in Emory Williams and uh, Jaden Rashada, and if they do stick then you can go in the portal and get an older guy like, you know, like say like an Oregon did with Bo Nix, Bo Nix and uh, fortify your team that way to get you through next year as a bridge. And of course, a lot of that's going to depend on whether Tyler Van Dyke comes back. Uh, but I just, I feel Jake as bad as he's played is better equipped right now to run a complete college offense than Ja'Curry Brown. And if you care about winning, I think you got you would have to start Jake if Tyler can't go. Uh, if you want to just see what you have in Jacuri, so you can make evaluations moving forward, then maybe you go with Jacuri and uh, go with the musical quarterbacks thing that was unbelievable the other night. It certainly didn't work, and uh, see how it goes in another week. I mean, I'm not in favor of it personally, but I don't get a vote, so we'll see what uh, Josh Gaddis and Mario Cristobal. 
come up with. Uh, MSK Fish wants to know, from everything that we've been saying, that there are many kids on the offense that don't believe in Josh Gaddis. Um, if there's a mass exit by the offensive players, how does that impact Josh Gaddis' status? Well, I think there's going to be a mass exit of offensive players, whether Josh Gaddis is here or not. So I'm not sure that, you know, there's a connection there. Um, but uh, I think it's fair. I mean, I've heard it from enough places that it's a fair comment to say that there have been some chemistry issues between new offensive coordinator and the old guard of players uh, who are used to Rhett Lashley. Josh Gaddis is not Rhett Lashley. Josh Gaddis's offense in no way, shape, or form resembles Rhett Lashley's offense. Uh, so uh, it hasn't always been hunky-dory. No, it absolutely has not. And uh, does that impact the effort on game day? It could. You know, people use the cliche, do the kids want to play for that coach? You hear it all the time. Um, you know, I'm old school. I think kids should want to play for every coach, but that's not really probably reality. And uh, if it's a, a lot better if they respect their coach and like their coach than if they don't. I, you know, I think that, you know, they're kids and I think they have to be motivated sometimes and focused. And um, so I, I, I do think that that, that matters. Um, how what I'm talking about here factors into Mario Cristobal's evaluation and thinking as he goes forward here in the next coming weeks. Um, we don't know that. Only Mario knows that. But uh, I don't think it, it is unfair to say that there's been a little bit of a disconnect on the offensive side of the ball. All right, once again, the number 563-999-3550, 563-999-3550. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. Continuing on with the questions on that were submitted by the posters at canesport.com. Is there any scuttlebutt on coaching staff changes? Uh, I would say, I mean, there's scuttlebutt. I mean, to, you know, go on Twitter, go on the message boards. There's a lot of scuttlebutt about coaching staff changes. Uh, there's not going to be any scuttlebutt from the only guy that matters in that regard, which is Mario Cristobal, who has the absolute complete authority uh, to decide who's going to be on his staff. It's, you know, Dan Radakovich, the athletic director, is not coming, walking back to football saying, Mario, you must fire Josh Gaddis or you must fire Coach Adai or anybody else. I mean, these are Mario's decisions. And um, I will say this, these coaches were all given very good contracts. They're paid very handsomely. And I believe most of them were for two, three years, uh, in, in many cases, three years. And I don't think the university is in a position with all the money they're spending on football right now to start buying out coaches. So I don't know how Mario is going to handle it. I don't know what his opinions are on his each individual member of his staff. I don't have any idea where, where that's going. Um, so we're just going to have to wait and see, uh, maybe just for a few more weeks. So, you know, I don't know. Um, maybe he goes through recruiting and then makes these assessments. Uh, I can't really say, I don't know what his philosophy is on, on replacing coaches. I don't, know what he thinks of these guys that are on his staff. I can just say that these are all very accomplished coaches who have all been successful 
in various stops in their careers. And um, I would be really surprised if you saw a massive staff overhaul. So, but, you know, the other thing I'll throw out is some of these guys are probably pretty frustrated that there's a few of these guys that might leave because they want to leave, you know, because they're not happy with what they found here at Miami and they're not happy with the way that this season has gone. Uh, next question, will Alonzo Highsmith help Mario on staff assessment? I'm sure he will. I'm sure he'll be part of the conversation. Uh, ultimately, Mario is probably working closer with those guys. I think Alonzo will have more of an impact with personnel uh, in terms of evaluating. Uh, on December 5th, uh, players around the country are allowed to go into the transfer portal. And I think at that point that there's going to be a lot of kids that need to be evaluated. Miami's going to need to evaluate almost every one of them. And um, I could see Alonzo being mostly focused and, you know, tied in with that more so than telling Mario what coaches he should keep and not keep. If the team doesn't make a bowl game, does that change the calculus on the staff? Hmm. Man, that is a great question because not making a bowl game just puts an even bigger stamp on failure than even if you sneak into a bowl game at six and six and you just get yourself into some bowl game. Um, but like I just, like I said earlier, man, I don't see the benefits of going six and six, squeezing it to say the military bowl or something and having to now prepare for the first two weeks of December for this garbage bowl game when you need to be balls to the wall recruiting during that time. I mean, I would almost have GAs coaching the team because like the coaches need to be on the road recruiting, not, not preparing for a meaningless nondescript bowl game. And then if you don't prepare properly and you go lose, it's even worse. Now you end up finishing six and seven. So, you know, I don't know. I think they will try to get to a bowl game. I mean, I don't think they're going to, you know, tank or anything along those lines in these games. They're going to have to beat Georgia Tech and Pitt to go to a bowl game. I don't think that they'll be able to handle Clemson on the road. So they would have to win uh, this Saturday at Georgia Tech and then Pittsburgh at home to get to a bowl game. So how bad do they want it? That will go a long way to determining how competitive they are in those games. Uh, can we also see some underclassmen get some more burn? I think you're already seeing that. I mean, heck, you got, you got a freshman playing quarterback. Uh, you know, I think they're playing young kids every place they can. I don't, um, I don't, you know, I don't think it's a situation where they're not willing to see what the freshmen have to offer. Uh, you know, I think they are, but you know, some of them just aren't ready to go into a game. I mean, to me, one of the greatest disappointments is that, you know, they have a lot of young defensive backs on this team that haven't really been able to play this year. And, you know, to me, like, that's one of the disappointments. I would have liked to see what those guys have to offer, you know? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see in any way, shape, or form a lack of willingness to play young players. Um, let's see. Why haven't the offensive line transfers from Oregon made an impact? Um, K 
Capitalist 7 is shocked that Mario and Mirabal didn't know their personnel before offering. Uh, obviously, they knew their personnel. Come on, man. How can you – you can't say they didn't know their personnel. Um, I think they knew they didn't have much personnel here at Miami. And, yeah, those two kids were backups at Oregon. But I think they felt like they needed them to be backups here at Miami if they couldn't develop into starters for this year. And, you know, John Dennis was starting at center until he got hurt. Um, now, you know, they've chosen to go in other directions ahead of Logan Sagapolo. And, yeah, I'm pretty surprised by that, to be honest. I mean, I would have thought that he would have gotten the nod over, you know, Lawrence Seymour, for example. Um but for whatever reason, he didn't, you know, and, and he's just not ready yet. But uh, I think they knew what they were bringing in. I think they felt like they needed offensive line depth. And uh, I think they accomplished that by bringing those guys in, and they ended up needing them very quickly. So I don't think you can knock bringing in those couple guys from Oregon. Uh, in an ideal world, if you're going to bring in a transfer, I would agree that you want them to be higher impact than what those two guys have been. But the O-line depth is so horrible that they did need to fortify it. And I think that was the goal behind bringing those guys in. Uh, Dahl Kane wants to know what's the over-under on the roster turnover after the season. Um, I don't know if, if, if uh, we talked about this early in the show, but uh, Matt and I actually went through this exercise today, player by player. And I came up with 20 kids that I think are almost certain to be in the portal. And Matt, I think, came up with 30. And you know, the truth maybe is in the middle there, 25 to 30, something like that. There's going to be a lot of kids, a lot of roster turnover when you add nine graduates to it. And, you know, you get to 35, 40 new players on an 85-man roster. That's 50% of the roster. And don't forget, 21 guys were sent to the portal this past year. So... Like, this is called a roster rebuild on steroids, okay? And, and you know, Mario's not pulling any punches. He wants to re- – he's got to rebuild and turn this roster. And, you know, I, I, I think we are, um, we are seeing that. And so you are going to see a lot of roster turnover. There's no doubt about it. Um, J- JC Two Canes for Life is debating whether uh, Jake Garcia – or Ja'Cory Brown should start. He feels that Jake Garcia should start. But um, more than anything, uh, he wants us to get the Cavender twins on our shows. He likes the Cavender twins. And uh, the Cavender twins are such a great story. I don't know. I hope you guys had a chance to read the, the story that we had on Kane Sport. Uh, I guess it would have been yesterday, on mo- uh, Monday, on the Cavender twins. What an amazing story. You're talking about two girls that are transfers to the women's basketball ball program who were sitting at home in quarantine during the pandemic. And one sister says to the other, Hey, let's make a TikTok," And the other one says, what's TikTok?" Didn't even know what TikTok was. Next thing you know, they're making these TikToks, They're dancing to these songs and they've got 4 million followers. And now they're making a couple million dollars on NIL deals. How about that? Absolutely. Unbelievable. Um, so I don't know if we'll have the Cavender twins on our shows, but uh, maybe we'll make that request at some point. It wouldn't hurt. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Raul was trying to predict Greg's top three t- talking points. Uh, why hasn't Josh been, Gaddis been fired? Why do they keep starting DJ Ivy? He did say that. <laughs> uh, 
Why are we playing worse than Demario Crispal than Manny Diaz? Raul, you know your characters well. Those were all subjects that Greg brought up when he called the show a little bit ago. And uh, yeah, so we, we ended up covering all those with Greg and uh, love Greg. He's one of our favorite callers and calls in every show we do. And uh, Greg, if you're still listening, we appreciate you, man. Um, but Raul's got you penned, man. He, he knew what you were gonna say before you even, uh, even said it. Um, BK Hurricane, who was on the show earlier, uh, brings up the question, did Mario make a mistake hiring the position coaches before hiring the coordinators? Um, boy, that's really interesting question because uh, coaches have a couple ways they can go with that. Uh, some coaches will let the coordinator pick two or three of his own position coaches because the chemistry of those guys is very important and they need to be able to work together and it helps to have guys working under you that understand your system and what you're doing. Um, Mario went the other way and he had this all-star crew that he wanted to bring in. And so Josh Gaddis, I don't think was responsible for any of these hires and um, Kevin Steele wasn't responsible for any of the defensive hires. I don't believe uh, so. Uh, you know, you can go either way with it. I don't think there's a right or a wrong. I think it just depends on the head coach and what their philosophy is. All right, that's going to do it uh, for Kane uh, Sport Live for this evening. We thank those that called in. We thank Matt Shadell and Bruce Warner. Tomorrow night, uh, we'll be back with the Lamar Thomas show on YouTube. Uh, don't have the guest list for that yet, but it's always good and always a great show. And if you're not listening to that, then uh, you're missing out. It's, uh, it's really, really good each Wednesday night. Uh, so thank you for listening tonight, everybody. And we will see you next time.